0: Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Thank you for downloading the show today. And how apt that just 55 days after Jack and I were sat discussing a 1-0 defeat away at Huddersfield Town, the tables have turned... And we're back here discussing a reverse result yesterday at Craven Cottage. Jack Collins is alongside. How you
1: doing? Hello, listeners. Yeah, I'm not too bad, mate. I, I've recovered a little bit from yesterday now. Yeah, I
0: mean, it was an absolutely mad game. We've got so much um, to discuss. It does kind of feel like a bit of a role reversal. The fact that it's it's me and you again, and and that was desperately kind of dark times. In Fulham perspective.
1: We're a little bit louder today. There's no whispering. We're in a studio. We're not doing it at half one in the morning in the middle of Manchester. Yeah. And things are more positive today. Exactly.
0: We actually are allowed to speak at normal volume. I don't know if you remember that one. Me and Jack kind of spent the whole time a bit like a Barry White podcast. The going,
1: infamous Whisper podcast. Hello.
0: <laughs> um, right. Loads of three word reviews came in yesterday, which is funny because normally they go down when we, uh, when we win a game. But I think, given the circumstances yesterday, everyone had one up their sleeve.
1: Yeah, there were some absolute corkers yesterday. i start with Luke Lele's Cess-Serb-Satisfaction, <laughs> which I thought was really good. Tom Lawton, Alexander the Great. But there were some absolute stormers in here. Rick Cardis, 3 plus 9, greater than 47. <laughs> which I thought was excellent. <laughs> there were you know, some excellent BC Browns, Karma overcomes Kamara. Uh, Matty Mads, Mitro Fires, Kamara but the best of the bunch for me, there's two Jeffrey Allen's "Sess Is More
0: Oh lovely which I
1: thought was exceptional but I imagine this will be the name of the podcast, Justin Story Abubakar La Drama
0: Oh, you promised me a good one. Yeah, that is I great. saw that yesterday,
1: and I was like, oh, "Absolutely." Well, who was that again? Let's give them. Let's give them Justin story at Dunty. Well done, fantastic. Well done, Phenomenal. Justin.
0: Well, there's the name of the podcast already sorted. Um, just to say, this season Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bet. What money will you get on a Bubacas Kamara starting against Arsenal?
1: First scorer
0: yeah <laughs> to take the penalty, penalty. <laughs> <laughs> well you can find out just head to Um uh, if you enjoy this podcast by the way uh please um the best thing you can get for us this christmas is to leave us a rating uh, ideally on apple podcasts if you don't have an iphone you can also leave us a rating on our facebook page as well facebook.com forward slash fullamish uh, let everyone know how much you enjoy this podcast and it really does help us along so um Please leave us a review. Ideally, five stars. So let's look um, at yesterday's game. It was a dramatic 1-0 win. Mitrovic getting that goal in the 91st minute. But of course, we will come on to the incredible moments with the missed penalty uh, and Abubakar Kamara. Uh, looking at the lineup first, though, Jack, um, Vieto came back into the side, as did Kearney. Um I mean, Vieto wasn't particularly effective in the away game, I remember, against Huddersfield. So I don't know why uh, Ranieri thought that, you know, it might work this time. It seemed a very defensive lineup to be playing against a side like Huddersfield.
1: Well, I was, we were talking about this on the preview podcast that would you stick with the five at the back despite the fact it's Huddersfield? And I think the kind of general consensus was if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. Mm. And. So I wasn't surprised to see five at the back. I think what Ranieri was trying to do was play a kind of 5-2-1-2, two, two, kind of, you know, have Serian and Chambers behind Kearney in a, in a kind of 10 and then the width being provided by the fullbacks and Vieto and Mitrovic up top, which kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. But as soon as Huddersfield set up in a 5-4-1, it kind of changed everything because what early doors you saw, that ball going over the top of Joe Bryan time and time again, and they were just doubling up on yeah. both of our fullbacks. And so I think Ranieri basically had to make a, a tactical switch. We went kind of to a 5 for one uh, which meant that Kenny kind of drifted out to the right wing where he gets lost a little bit and Vieto played left wing where again, he, you know, he he was less effective in this last half of this first half. Yeah. You know, he, he kind of became invisible. I thought he did okay early doors and then he absolutely drifted out of the game. So you can understand what Kenny what Ranieri was trying to do to to begin with, but I think that it was naive to suggest that with with Huddersfield having so many wide players on the pitch. They started yesterday with two right backs, two left backs, two centre backs, and two centre defensive midfielders. There were two attacking players in the Huddersfield lineup, Pritchard and Mounier. Yeah. And I think when someone's setting up like that, you've got to assume that all the kind of directness is going to come down the wings because, you know, that's the setup they've got. And therefore it was maybe a little bit naive to think that Huddersfield weren't going to try and bombard Bombardos from a wing position. Well, you saw it quite
0: early on. I think it might have been Durham that had the shots um, and Rico actually didn't do that well. It was straight at him and, and he parried it out and I think Adoy managed to, to get it clear and was fouled. But in that situation, it was quite evident because it was two on one on Joe Bryan and Joe Bryan didn't know whether to... Well, which man to mark? It was impossible. And there was no cover being given to either fullback. But Huddersfield were also, a bit like Wolves, very content just to pass it round the back. And Fulham didn't really seem to have the numbers up top in order to press Huddersfield. And that was what was, I think, frustrating the fans at Craven Cottage a lot was Huddersfield were just allowed to have so much possession. I mean... How the tables had turned that <laughs> Huddersfield came to Craven Cottage and had
1: 65% possession yeah. in the first half. I mean the truth is that it was one of the worst halves of football I've ever seen. And In terms of the whole game, or do you mean by Fulham? No, no, no. In terms of the whole game, you know, Huddersfield were content to have possession, you're right, but they didn't do anything with it because they're not very good. And not that's not to say that we're not, you know, we weren't very good yesterday either, but at the same time. You know, we we didn't have possession and you hope that actually when Fulham did get the ball, we were a little bit more lively with it, whereas Huddersfield was sort of very content to pass the ball around the back. They came for nil nil yesterday and they very nearly got away with it. Yeah. And, you know, that's something we need to look at. Ranieri, yes, has made us more solid, more defensively able. We're you know, we look content in there. I don't I don't really think that Rico had very much to do at any point yesterday. But if that's going to be at the expense of not being able to score goals against the teams that we should be beating, then that's a danger and a worry. What he should be able to do is is get this team to kind of react to their opponents. And that's what we said was Slavisa's biggest flaw, that he never reacted his teams to who he was playing and never kind of gave the opposition tactics any sort of due note. And Ranieri's kind of come in and done the same thing, but in the complete opposite way in terms of... You know, Yesterday we should have looked to dominate possession against Huddersfield because we have more technically able players than they do and, and we should have been able to pass the ball around them and instead we sort of got sucked back in this, especially in the first half, into this kind of defensive system where we looked to play on the break but didn't really have the pace to play on the break and it was all a little bit strange and overall it just meant a dire half of football for, you know, for the fans of both sides I imagine and the neutral.
0: They are very good at pressing, though, Huddersfield. And I think you do yeah. have to give them their due. And every time that we try to have some possession out the back, um, Pritchard and Mounier were doing a very good job to close down kind of all of the options. But just sometimes there seemed like a lack of composure. And also, sometimes I just felt like you, we opened up Huddersfield... Just threw one or two really quick passes, or even there was the moment where Dennis Adoy beat a couple of yep. um, their midfielders, broke the press, and actually, if Kearney had a little bit of a better touch, he'd have been through one on one. It baffled me why the team weren't realising okay, all you need to do is just put a couple of slick passes together, and this team yep. is is opened up. and We kept failing to do that and, and hitting kind of speculative balls over the fullback, hoping that. Cyrus Christie or Joe Bryan would would get onto them, and ninety nine percent of the time they lacked the quality. Even if the ha- fullbacks had have got there,
1: yeah, I, I think it's you know it, it's all this. Basically, we we the only times we looked dangerous in the first half was when John McHale got his head up and played and switched play, and it broke. In that in itself breaks presses because it you know doesn't allow you to get you know you, we've all seen goal. There is that moment where he kicks the ball into the goal, and what do you learn from it, the ball travels faster than you do, right? So there is. You know, there's that moment where Seri switched play and suddenly Cyrus had the freedom of the right. And, and then, we're, then we're cantering down, we're, you know, we're in play, we're, we're getting the ball on the deck. And that's when we look dangerous, as opposed to these kind of weird speculative big balls into Mitrovic. Where, and I was talking to a friend at half-time who you know, works for Football Whispers. And he, he was saying, what's happened? Because Fulham were this wonderful ball-playing side and now it's just long balls to Mitro and, and what I said to him was, look there's no problem with us being direct. And then, you know, they, Ranieri came in and made us more direct and actually it worked very well in, in a couple of games, especially in that Leicester game, mm-hmm. Southampton game, where we'd get the ball into Mitrovic quickly and then players would get around him and we'd play good passing football in the right areas of the pitch rather than playing the good passing football around our own back five. Yeah. So, But yesterday was none of that. It wasn't get the ball into Mitrovic and get around him. It was get the ball into Mitrovic and him to flick it on. And that's not a good tactic for us because we don't have the players... Especially in the first half, yeah. to do that. Because, you know, playing flicked balls into Kearney down the right channel is never going to work because he's not fast. And that's not even Tom Kearney's fault. That's just how, you know, how the game is. You get the ball to Kearney on the floor and you look for him to distribute it well. And that's how Fulham have had joy. Yeah. And none of that yesterday
0: in the first half. It all did seem uh, very, very disjointed. There weren't really any chances. Of massive note, although Mitro again did just seem like he was going to have one of his days, missed a couple of good opportunities from corners. Cyrus Christie also missed that opportunity Um, and we'll come on to Mitro's goal. But he does. I mean, he's got the most shots in the Premier League and a couple of times I do just think a man of his pedigree and I didn't really get the chance after Wolves to speak about
1: it does need to find the back of the net a little bit more often. Yeah, of course. And the Wolves game was a bad day at the office for Mitrovic. You know, in the scoring aspect of the game, in every other aspect of the game, he was absolutely phenomenal yeah. against Wolves. But yes, I thought yesterday his chances, yes, there was two headers from the in the first half that went over the bar that maybe one of them he should have left for Alfie Mawson, in fact. Mm. But ultimately yesterday, most of his chances he got on target. You know, there's that header from Joe Brian Cross in the second half where he did really well. He scores the goal, obviously, at the end. You'd assume that he would, you know, had he taken the penalty, we would have gone 1-0 up then. Yeah. And, you know, at the very end of the game, he does brilliantly to flick the ball over the keeper and set Sessignon free. And actually, I was I was thinking about this the other day. And the other day I was thinking about this last night. That goal and their goal difference. We're talking about that. That's huge. I think Sessignon should be burying that.
0: Yeah, 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 completely. Uh, it's
1: a, it's a strange one, but I thought Mitrovic was was good on the whole yesterday, and uh, he did. He, he serves his purpose so so well in this team, and he just fights and fights and fights.
0: And, and Huddersfield do seem to have found a way to play us, and I, I think that if they had played the whole season the way they performed, both in the home game against us and the away game against us, yeah. they'd have a lot more points. Do you this think so? because?
1: In those two games, I remember them having maybe two clear-cut chances in both games. And we're the second-worst team in the league, according to the league table. Well, third now. But at the time yeah. of play.
0: If they maybe know, had a couple of more attacking options. Precisely.
1: You, you know, you though I actually don't
0: that. think that Meunier is a terrible... I think he's quite a good striker. The
1: point is, though, that they don't create anything. Yeah. You know, the reason that Huddersfield are bottom of the table is because they've scored something like 12 goals in the entire season, which is diabolical, frankly. Yeah. And... If you don't score goals, you don't stay up. That's not been our problem. We've scored goals, but actually, you know, we've become more solid and those goal-scoring opportunities have dried up in the last couple of games. And I think that, you know, we have to find a system. You know, it's fine to play like we did yesterday against Arsenal, against Liverpool, against City, fine. You know, but actually against Huddersfield at home in a game that we absolutely had to win. It was a little bit too defensive for my liking.
0: Yeah, and other teams with more quality than Huddersfield, if they are coming to Craven Cottage and looking to get results, I'm thinking Brighton, Cardiff down the line. Yeah. We'll look yeah. at what Huddersfield did yesterday, and they actually do have the quality. Case in point: Victor Camarasa to punish us and go one
1: nil into the lead. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's so difficult to look at things in a subjective light when you know when when you're in the heat of the moment, for example. But if Fulham are going to play like that, we need to have three up top. We can't have, you know, you have to have pace and power. And and I'm not even just talking about Kamara here. You you know, you need to have wingers. Look at Vieto, for example. This would be the the kind of thing I I drop in the first half. Vietto is anonymous because he's trying to play off flick balls from Mitrovic with no support, and he's not doing anything whatsoever. And to be honest, I was surprised he didn't get pulled. I'm I'm glad he wasn't, but I'm surprised he didn't get pulled. I think just because of the injuries. That's that's the reason why. But in the second half he played wide, you know, with, with Kearney spreading the play. We went back to that 3 4 3 kind of system where the two wingers actually do hug the touchline a little bit more. Yeah. Um and when he was doing that and when he had support from from fullback and also another winger who was willing to drive into space, the game opened up. And then Vieto started to play really, really well. I thought he had an excellent second half. He was maybe a little bit tired by the time he came off, and I thought it was the right substitution at the time. Yeah. But and up to that point, he'd got the ball, he'd driven into midfield, he was the one sort of weaving in and out. And and if you're going to have wide players with fullback, well, with backs, you need them to cut inside and drive. And Vieto did that brilliantly yesterday, and I'd like to see him more in that kind of wide role.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see Vieto, and I think it's been a bit of a shame that he's been left out of the si- the team for quite such a long time. I, I can just imagine Vieto yesterday when he went to look at the team sheet, thinking, oh, here "Well, here I go, I won't be on the team sheet again. Oh! Oh I'm starting. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a funny old game, isn't it? But yeah, I think that we in time and with Vieto, you know, learning that role, I I do think he can be a really useful player for us there. I think that Sesseyon you know, with, with Kamara, you know, and we'll come onto to it and all the you know, the disciplinary kind of things that Ranieri was talking about is that I think we will see Kamara out of the squad for a little while. I don't think this is the end of his Fulham career, but I think we'll see him out of the squad for a little while. And I think that, opp- uh, that opportunity to go, you know, basically one on one with Sess on one side and Vieto on the other of Mitrovic is something that I'm really excited about. Let's come on to the second half. Uh,
0: unfortunate that Alfie Mawson picked up uh, an, an injury. Yeah, well,
1: we assume it's a knock.
0: Yeah, I think it's been said, I I don't know where I've seen it around on Twitter, but I think Ranieri confirmed it because he said that he wouldn't, or I've seen that the plan was to bring Cessignon on at half-time, but the injury to Alfie Mawson kind of affected Ranieri's plans in that sense. Fortunately, Le Marchand is just such a natural replacement in that that role, and I thought he was brilliant as well. There was a point at the time where I actually wondered if it might have been Tactical, just in the sense that Le Marchand seemed to have a little bit more composure bringing it out of defence and was a bit more accurate with his passing than Alfie Morrison had been. And that did actually really help us in a sense. Mikel Seri came off for Abubakar Kamara. We'll come on to the penalty in a second. But I really thought he had a great impact in that second half his unpredictability and that we've spoken about it. He doesn't know what he's going to do. So there's no way uh, a defender can possibly know what Kamara's going to do meant that Huddersfield's lines got broken a bit more and we had some good opportunities. While there were no real clear cut shots apart from maybe Mitros on, on Lossell, we had a lot more play around their penalty box. And if it, it feels like the Fulham of old, when we do, kind of, and and Huddersfield, every time they would clear it, it would hit our midfield and the ball would come back and it was this kind of unrelenting pressure.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that majority of that was due to the tactical switch to get to get back into a four three, uh, three, four, three with wingers that actually kind of looked to stay wide at points and then cut inside and, and let the overlaps happen and that was the kind of way that it worked in some regards. I thought that tom kearney was was very good in the second half and and credit where credit's due because you know he's been he's been he's had a rough ride recently i suppose and in that midfield role he looked to control the tempo he did really well he kept the ball really well and he spread play and that's exactly what we needed him to do. I, I don't, you know, a lot. there was a lot made of the whole Kearney played in his natural position and Seri drop, was dropped. I don't think it's that. I think there's more to it than that because I think that it's just the way that he had options on either wing. When Seri was playing there, the only switches he had on were the fullbacks galloping forward because there was no natural width in the Fulham team with Kearney and out on a wide, wide wide position. And that doesn't reflect badly on Tom Kearney that's just a system thing so I think that you know more is being made of the Seri for Kearney switch than maybe needs to be I thought Tom Kearney was excellent there but I think John Sarri does exactly the same role I think he spreads play you know well there but he had to come off because he was a red card waiting to happen
0: yeah but also it does just seem Seri and Kearney playing together not
1: in a five at the back not with five at the back. If you yeah. play four at the back, you can play Seri and Kenny together because you can play four through three and have, have Kenny in a midfield role, in a central role. To play them together in a in a fight with five at the back, you have to put one of them wide. And it's Kenny because he's more of a languid player. And he doesn't suit being wide because he's not a, he's not a wide midfielder no. anymore. And so, surely
0: Ranieri's got to realise that quickly that Kenny. Out wide does not work. Kit Simons has found a, found it out. Uh, uh, Radieri surely now must realise it just does not work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the, there are two. The only way you could play them together is is what they did yesterday, and we realised quite quickly that if they, you do that, then people exploit your fullbacks with two players on each side, and, and therefore. I don't think we're going to see much more of that formation with two up front going forward because it doesn't really work for us. No. You can kind of see what Ranieri was trying to do. Absolutely. I can completely see what he was trying to do. That is the system that theoretically fits Kearney and Sari into the, into five at the back best. It, he has Kearney in a free roaming ten. He has Seri as a kind of box to box eight with Chambers as the kind of destroying six. But to do that you need fullbacks that are absolutely flying quality and we didn't have them yesterday. And I thought that Joe Bryan and Cyrus Christie did well yesterday. I thought they both played, you know, very well and, and very comfortable. But you can't you know, they're, they're not top class Premier League quality. They're both good players. And they're yeah. both quite comfortably good enough to be playing in this Fulham side. But they're not enough to bombard both flanks on their own. No, exactly. And that's again, it's system, it's not player. Let's talk about it because we've done
0: Nearly 20 minutes of this podcast, and we haven't mentioned the biggest talking point beyond all uh, the penalty, which all came about from a Joe Bryan cross, which gave Luz all kind of problems. I thought for a second, that's, go- that's hitting the back of the net.
1: It look like it was a bit of a Shea ojo from last year. Yeah,
0: it was a little bit. Um, Luz does quite well to palm it away. It comes to Bubakar Kamara, who, doesn't, who I think tries to flick it over. Um, yeah. L- was it Love? It was Love that gave away the penalty. I mean, it wasn't a great bit of skill by Kamara, but it hit, hit his hands. It I don't like, know
1: what Chris Love is doing there. He's going to be absolutely obviously we didn't score it. If we had, he would have been absolutely livid with himself. Why is his hand in the air? Yeah, I think
0: it's just a an, natural an reaction. He was trying to jump or something to hit the ball, and it, it's just it's just. it's like on. it's
1: like he's always got a hand up, like trying to answer a question in class. <laughs> like I don't know what his hand is doing in the air, and and he will look at that and be like, what on earth is going on there? And then we
0: win the penalty and the Craven Cottage crowd is delighted. There's only five, six minutes left of the game. And you really think, OK, this has been a tough afternoon. Huddersfield have um, been, been really efficient, really organised. But Here's the moment. Mitro's going to pick up the ball and we're all going to have a lovely rest of our day. And, and Kamara just, he runs it's the fastest I
1: saw him move all game,
0: and he is actually quite quick.
1: Because Huddersfield clear the ball, and it's headed it's by the halfway line. It's Max Lemarchand that has it. Max Marshall picks the ball up, and Kamara runs up to him and gets the ball off him. It's and really odd.
0: Re- I mean, it's... And, and he just wouldn't let go of it. Yeah. And Mitro's there trying to say, it's my ball. Kenny's trying to plead with him. I don't know if you
1: saw the bench. Yeah, the bench are up in arms. There's
0: about, it's about six of them.
1: Mitro's got his hands in the air. Well, Mitro turns to the bench and goes what what's going on and th- there's a couple of moments here like one I-, I want to address something because I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter being like Kearney needs to be stronger yeah. I don't think that's fair like, no, I don't think it's that's not. fair at all if Alexander Mitrovic can't get the ball off Abubakar of Kamara then Tom Kearney isn't going to. That's
0: not a a, a thing. There's a point here with Kearney. I think Kearney did the absolute best that he could there. I mean, he's not going to win a wrestle. No. If if, if it comes to some sort of rugby scrum, I mean, no one... You don't want to
1: do that with your own team. That's the last thing you want to have.
0: You have to have an element of diplomacy here because at the end of the day, the most important thing is that this penalty gets scored. No matter who takes it, I guess, in the end, if Abubakar is going to be so dogmatic that I am going to take this penalty... And and Kenny has pleaded with him and said Ranieri's done this and this is a bad idea. But at the end of the day, this become the more the more and more it went on, the more and more likely it became that Kamara's head would have gone and he would miss the penalty.
1: The, the truth is, as soon as two strikers argue about who's taking a penalty, you should take the ball off both of them. You should someone else should take the penalty. You know, I don't care if it's Tom Kenny. I, personally, I would have given it to Dennis Adoy. <laughs> I think Dennis Adoy is sticking that straight in the onion bag. Um, <laughs> but, not, but you know, aside from that, as soon as that happens, heads have gone. You know, Mitrovic's head is gone because he's like, what if I take the ball off him and then I miss? Kamara's head's gone because he's going, I can't miss this now because I've made a fuss about taking it. So both of them aren't in the right place. You know, you give that ball to Max Lemarchand or, you know, Callum Chambers. Someone who... Isn't involved at all in the discussion, and he's just thinking about the penalty. Not yeah. who's not involved, and and then Cessinot. Cessinot. If you give the ball to someone like that, and, and who is, is is removed from the discussion, then the pressure doesn't mount on them because they're not involved in that. Oh, what if I miss this kind of thing?
0: Yeah, because but that's a re- you know that's with a, a massive amount of hindsight. And, and no, not and as, time. as soon as
1: as soon as it happened, I was like, don't let either of them take it. Tom Kenny should take it. And maybe that's the only criticism you could have Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny maybe should pull rank and be like, right, you two, your heads are gone, I'm having this. But then again, we all know what happened the last time Tom Kenny took a parent at Craven Cottage. So, you know, it's not, it's not as it- easy as, as it seems, but it, it's a strange one because I don't think that, I don't think that Tom Kenny's done anything wrong here. Uh, and I think that he, he's tried his very best to get the ball off him and he hasn't. And then eventually you just have to be like, well, we have to take this penalty at some point. You know, we've got to get on with it. And I think Mitrovic does brilliantly to go over and kiss Kamara on the head and be like, go on then, son. Put it away.
0: He does. But it... Well, obviously, in hindsight, when the penalty was missed, it obviously didn't help enough to to rectify the
1: situation. No, but it's a moment because the whole crowd is baying for Mitrovic, right? That's not... That's not good for Kamara to begin with. And and look, I think Mitrovic should take the power. I'm not trying to defend him. Here. You, know, you know me, I'm far from a Kamara defender. Yeah. And and I won't. I thought he was absolutely abhorrent yesterday in all aspects of the game. And we'll come on to that later. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to, at some point, be like, right, he's taking it, we need to get behind him, right? Yeah. You, you have to... And Mitrovic to go over and be like, right then, go on, good luck. You know, I believe in you, kind yeah. of. It, it, it's phenomenal. And for someone who's temperament whose attitude was questioned who's you know w- came into this team as a, a liability firecracker he is an absolute leader and, and a true true gentleman of, of the game and, and honestly I think Alexander Mitrovic is absolutely top quality yeah he, and, and not about the goal even if we hadn't won that game Mitrovic would have come out of that looking you know bright looking and you forget like that Mitrovic leader. is only
0: one year older than Kamara yeah and
1: and it looks <laughs> like younger than you it and I. looks
0: like there's 10 years <laughs> yeah between them in terms of of maturity. And look, we have to, you have to lay into Kamara. And there's not much more we can say that Ranieri didn't say. Ranieri said he wanted to kill him. Um, Alan Shearer didn't quite go to town on uh, Kamara as much on match of the day last night as I thought he was going to. He went to town far harder on Cyrus Christie for his performance against Nacho Monreal earlier in the season. But, you know, they both just agreed. It's a disgrace. Yeah, it's it's, a disgrace. it's, It's, it's rule one of football. And I, It doesn't matter whether you're in the Premier League or Sunday League. If your manager, your captain, the rest of the team, a crowd is calling for you not to do that. That takes a special kind of ego to to block all of that out and realise that you're wrong in this situation. We've all had a moment, you know, maybe down the playground or something. No, I'm taking this. If that was me, I I I'd love to take a penalty if I'm on, if I'm on a football pitch because i do I bat myself to score it. But if I pick that ball up and my captain came over to me and said, Sammy, you're not you're not the man you're not the man for this You'd you'd give it up. Yeah. It's 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 it's, it's,
1: it's amazing. Look, it's a special display of, like you said, it's a special display of ego in terms of it's so selfish to be like, I want this as opposed to what's best for the team. And that's what's upsetting me. There's so many people, there's you know, lots of people defending him, being like, oh, it's good that he has the passion. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's absolutely no, nothing good in what happened with Kamara and the penalty yesterday. I don't care if he, if he wants a desire to take. That's not a good thing. A good thing is what? So you just ignore the, what's best for your team for your own personal gain? Absolutely not. Not this club. Not at this club.
0: Do you, and, on his argument, do you think he was so confident that he was going to score no. because he's done well
1: in other penalties? Well, he, he scored one penalty. He scored two. Ago. He scored okay. a year ago. Yeah. Like you, that's no. He scored one penalty against against United because because he was was Mitrovic wasn't on the pitch. Yeah. And, and suddenly that gives him God's gift to Nah. Not for me. It is it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. The uh, only
0: time I could maybe maybe understand it is if Kamara had been completely wronged. Like, if, Let's say Kamara beat three players, yes. went through on goal and got clattered just before he was about to pull the trigger a, a, and score. Then you kind of sometimes say striker's prerogative, finish what you started. And and you can argue that Kamara won the penalty but it was hardly through great skill yeah, or, or a mo- yeah. or, or moment of being wronged. He blasted it at, at, at Love and it, it was a, an inexplicable uh, but
1: if, you're, if you're defending Kamara after this, I, I'd, I'd like to pose a question to, to you. That if you walked into your workplace of whatever choice tomorrow and your manager was like, oh, this person's doing this job and you just ran off with their job and, and then did it and messed it up, how long do you reckon you'd stay in your job? Not very, <laughs> not very long at all. You'd be all. fired. Yeah. If you literally took, took someone else's work that was vitally important for the company, the health of the company, yeah. and you went and then you messed it up you'd be sacked. Yeah. And I don't understand why anyone is, is, is defending his actions in terms of, oh, it was good that he, he did that. He, he wanted to do well for the company. No. No. I,
0: <laughs> I think it's fair enough if a Abubakar said, I'd really like to take this.
1: That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem with him wanting to take the penalty. And even if it was a tiny little bit of
0: discussion, like, come on, mate, give me this, give me this, but then realised when rank had been pulled. Okay. And then no one would be criticizing you, no, even if there had been a tiny little drama. Absolutely not. And then it would be
1: like, well, now you wanted to take the penalty, you were confident, and you need a bit of that. Yes, of course, every striker needs to be a bit selfish to score goals, but not at the expensive team. No, and and that's kind of
0: and and the, and, the, point, and the, obviously it? the moment is, what do you reckon the
1: reaction would have been had Kamara scored? It would have, people would have celebrated? And, and that no, no, enough. no. But would 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 there be any debate after? Yeah, I still think I still think we'd be saying sitting here going. I think it's wrong that he took the ball off Mitrovic. Like, I still would be saying that I think, even if he'd scored, because it it comes down to discipline, it comes down to respect and, and, and those are things that Kamara clearly lacks. And in a team where we're scrapping for survival, we're scrapping for every point we can get, we need discipline, we need respect, we need harmony in the camp. We need people fighting for each other, not yeah. fighting each other. Yeah. And that's you know, that's all there is to it.
0: Hundred percent. Um there were, though, unsavoury scenes afterwards in the Hammersmith end with um, quite a vocal majority. Like, not, it not, wasn't the whole Hammy end, but it was certainly. It was hundreds. all around the
1: ground as well. It wasn't just in the Hammersmith yeah, end.
0: Yeah, it was hundreds of fans booing Kamara. There was the moment when the penalty was missed that there were boos, which almost I could understand. That was more boo at the situation, I don't think, rather. But then there were a couple of moments where Kamara touched the ball. And there were boos across the crowd. I mean, it goes without saying that booing your own players yes, is is wrong. But I'm not. I'm not actually going to sit here and have a massive go at those fans because it was abhorrent what we saw. It didn't help. It doesn't help the team. I admit that. And I didn't boo.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. But I, I, I can understand no, people's It's wrong. Frustration. It is wrong. I, I, I can also understand people's frustration. And I have no. If people booed him after the final whistle, I'd probably be absolutely fine with it. I'm, I'm okay with that because there is. You know, there is there's a mo- there is a point where you voice your frustration. But, right, so there's there's a couple of reasons why fans boo. One, one is because they want to see a change enforced. So, you know, I remember, you know, this is throwback, but in Brazil, Rivaldo, when Rivaldo went back to Brazil for the 2002 World Cup, he got booed in every qualifying game because the fans wanted him substituted because they didn't think he was doing good enough. <laughs> I, I think it was wrong and, and all those things, but at least they were trying to enforce a change. Whereas yesterday we'd made all three subs we couldn't get kamara off the field no you know he was he was there for for better or for worse and and if you boo him during the game then it's obviously not going to be not going to be good for him is it like you know i agree i was absolutely massively frustrated i was like sell him but don't boo him because you know it, it that there was still 5 minutes left and as we saw things can change but, there was a sense of helplessness. There was just sense, and, and,
0: and the team looked shell shocked by could have what
1: seriously happened. seriously got us relegated in one in one fell swoop. We you know we don't lose we don't win that game yesterday. You watch Cardiff go seven points clear of us, and also Huddersfield had their chances to go and flipping win it. And I thought they were
0: going to yeah, when that yeah. the moment just before the goal is actually scored and they break down the right and they get into the box. I'm 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 resigned to it. Yeah, they going to score. I, I was like, they're going to score here, yeah. and it's going to be horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would have been one of the most horrible things I think I'd have ever seen at Craven
1: Cottage. Yeah,
0: the scenes were. I honestly think people have start burning down the hammock. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> like, it would
1: have been pitchfork time. Yeah, but it was. Look, I, I can't sit here and and say that I wasn't absolutely livid at Kamara. I can't; I, I would be lying to you. But I just don't think that we gain anything from booing our own fans and our, for our own players. And and I just don't think it's the kind of club that we want to be. I understand your frustrations. I understand that everyone's angry, like none more so than me. You know, I don't think Kamara's good enough to be playing in this team. Never mind, you know, never mind taking penalties and never mind missing them. But at the same time, if he's wearing the shirt. And he's running up and down in it. And, you know, he's trying to... You know, he's trying to do his best. And look, he's he's not very good, frankly. The truth of the matter is he's not very... He had... He's he had, a different weapon, you know, for this team. But he's not very good at football. But I still want to. I still
0: think that he has a role yes, in this agrees. in this team, and he does come on and change games. Yeah, and I'm he came on agree. and changed the game yesterday, and that's all I the great. He, I
1: thought I, I completely disagree. I thought he was awful yesterday, and I think that anyone the the thing that changed the game was us switching to a system which had natural no. wide players. No, certainly the first rubbish.
0: ten minutes when he came on. He was, he was good he it was, was that moment
1: Kamara let the ball run across him to clear it and the ball went out of play and I was just like that sums him up sums him up every time he touched the ball it went about five yards it was like back to you remember when he came and it was every time he touched the ball it bounced off him and went halfway oh, back I, to I centre I don't know
0: if I agree with that I thought he was okay when he came on I didn't think he changed I didn't think he was an absolute game changer like he has done in the past no of and course really and I gave him games. credit after
1: the Wolves game because I thought he was I thought he was very very good that day but uh, yesterday I thought he was rubbish
0: okay penalty well.
1: aside like The whole game, I just thought he offered very little. Had Claudio had a
0: sub, he would almost definitely have come off because his head was completely gone once the penalty was missed. I mean, like he must have not known what flipping day it was once that happened and and, and all the the reaction that was going through his head. I mean, he was so um, dumbstruck by what happened when he missed the penalty. He didn't even run for the rebound. He would have had actually a chance to, well, at least get his head on the ball or do something. I'm not saying he probably had an open net or something. But anyway, moving on from that. A wonderful moment for the goal. Catharsis.
1: <laughs> like, absolute catharsis. Um, a moment of just washed relief. Yeah. Coursing through your veins.
0: Cess does brilliantly. Oh, he, he, he gets the ball. And it's not exactly a... Uh,
1: not enough credit for Tom Kearney getting his head up. Yeah. Getting the ball down and playing that pass instead of just hoofing it clear.
0: Yeah, completely. But Sess, it's, it's two Fulham players on three Huddersfield players, that's the first time really all day we we had a situation like that, and it was through Huddersfield getting a tiny bit of belief that they could win the game and, and going for it at yep. the end. Um, but Cess draws a defender; it's a wonderful ball through the gap. But Mitrovic, I still think, had a lot to do there, like yeah. a lot. Shades of the playoff final pass. It was a little bit shades of the playoff final pass. It goes through Lurzel's legs because Mitrovic hits it so early, and he, and he's because I think everyone was expecting him to take a touch there. Yes.
1: It's a it's a brilliant finish and the kind of finish you expect from a man banging form yeah. as opposed to a man who hasn't scored for yeah, know, six or seven long games. Yeah, but it's just the moment and and the way he celebrates and the way he goes yeah just magic. There, also, I think it's it's either Max Le or Joe Ryan does the absolute Ryan Fredericks and stands on the hoardings and does the fist pump yeah. and I was like yeah it's good, but it's just the relief. It wasn't even. It wasn't even joy. It was yeah, just, just pure, pure thank catharsis. Thank God for that. And, and I don't know. I, I've not seen limbs like that for a long time. It, you know, even the Dennis Adoy, it was different. Dennis, I, D- David Preston, we, I walked back to the, the pub with Dave yesterday after the game, and he said, I was there for Derby. I was there for the playoff final. And that was the first time I've ever felt the need to jump on my seat and jump up and down.
0: Yeah, it was absolute madness. And yes, there was the, I think there was a bit of, relief when of like the Sessignon goal against Derby because that was like a oh thank god for that but there was 45 minutes of football left for me it had shades of Le- Kenny against Leeds
1: yeah definitely it was it was very but that wasn't like su- that.
0: that wasn't quite such a vital win actually in the grand scheme of things this though was potential well I, I think we could all we'd have been sitting here today if we'd have ended up drawing that game nil nil and we'd be both saying it's over
1: I don't think I'd be here. I, I honestly think I would have drank myself into oblivion last night and then just left my just let it rot. Like it, was, <laughs> it is one of those like, but it, as it posed, I woke up. I was like, yeah, yes. yeah, I and it was like, oh yeah, let's do a pod. Um, looking at the table, the Cardiff win yesterday was annoying. Huge, what a win! Also. They're really, really, really doing well. Like yeah. I, I don't think we give Cardiff enough credit.
0: No, we and, never do. And actually, I'm starting to look at that team and they all play for each other. Warnock's doing an absolutely magnificent job at Cardiff.
1: Words that you never thought would come out of my mouth, but he is. He, you know, they, they've bought a little bit of quality and, or loaned a little bit of quality in Victor Hamarasa. They've got a little bit of steel in Harry Arter you know, they've managed to...
0: Etheridge is doing bits in goal.
1: Yeah, he is. He he was absolutely if exceptional if yesterday. If and Cardiff he's turned down to go to the Asia Cup to play for this Cardiff team. That's the kind of commitment you're looking for, right? Yeah. And I just think it's phenomenal and what, what they're doing and it's such a big win for them. Um And and we have to try and, you know, harness a little bit of that spirit ourselves. And hopefully moments like yesterday, that moment, you're know, scoring the 91st win it, minute to, to win it. Yeah. They're the kind of moments that bond the team together, right? They're the kind of moments that... They want to be part of again, and hopefully they'll take that now. And you know, I'm not expecting to get anything out of Arsenal, but you know, we've got some big games still coming up. You know, Palace away, Burnley away, games that on paper are Brighton at home are winnable. I mean, Yeah. yeah, but you know, that's a. I mean, in terms of results that maybe people aren't expecting, like that Cardiff result. Yeah, people aren't expecting us to go to Crystal Palace and win. Yeah, but but we can. We could theoretically, yeah. Um, so you look at the table now.
0: Huddersfield's kind of rock bottom on ten points. Um They've got a couple of massive games. I think they've got Cardiff and Burnley, Burnley. to play in the next two. So you imagine if Huddersfield can't get any points out of those, then it would almost be a case of Huddersfield have gone.
1: Yeah, like,
0: uh, and it, it does seem absurd to be saying that in January. But you know, without Aaron Moy, I do feel for
1: Huddersfield. I really feel for Huddersfield. I feel Huddersfield. They had the best home atmosphere we've been to this year. A hundred percent. And they you know, they're they're a good a good club. With with loyal fans and and I respect Huddersfield. Yeah, for, a, I, have for a, no, I have no beef with them. No,
0: and and you know they took three thousand fans to yesterday to, to Craven Cottage on a you know between Christmas and New Year and and I've just got nothing but but admiration. But they just are limited in terms of the quality in their side and and the Moy injury is just a, it's a knockout. It's a body blow in it. Yeah, a knockout. It, for them. They,
1: they have two players of genuine quality and they are Aaron Moy and Philip Binge Yeah, and. They've lost half of that in one yeah. fell swoop.
0: Burnley, we'll, we'll see what their result is later against West Ham at the time of recording. Uh, still a couple of hours to go until that one. Southampton uh, also playing Man City today. Um, let's hope Man City uh, finally get their act together and don't lose for, for a third game in a row. But yeah, Cardiff still four points ahead of us. Newcastle do have a tricky run of fixtures to come, but they picked up a good draw at, at Wofford yesterday. So whilst Fulham have they're given be, them...
1: they absolutely gutted not to win that. Yeah. yeah. Conceded in the 86th minute or, 100%. or whatever. 100%.
0: Um, Palace, I still think, are not, uh, not going to be in there. Southampton, I didn't think, are going to be in there, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's a
1: complete foregone conclusion. They're, they're, they're going to be
0: in a battle. I still think they've got more than
1: enough. I think they've got more than enough. The quality in that squad is probably significantly higher than anyone else's, including our own.
0: So we could start, we could do with Cardiff and Newcastle to keep Starting losing. Starting to drop
1: points, yeah. Yeah.
0: And particularly, I mean, it might get into a case where the, the Huddersfield Cardiff game. You're supporting Huddersfield.
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I think it's, um, I think we're it's a f- long way to go.
0: There is a long, long way to go. Right, uh, we're going to take a quick break. After that, we'll discuss Arsenal. Hi, I'm Collins John, and you are listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. at Full Voice. Full voice. No whispering. So Huddersfield is kind of out of the way, although we will have some questions to do uh, in a second. So we'll probably come on to a few of the talking points uh, that we've already discussed. The games are coming thick and fast. Uh, New Year's Day, 3 o'clock. We head up to the Emirates uh, to face Arsenal. Obviously going to be a really, really difficult game. Arsenal uh, have been pretty much rejuvenated under Unai Emery, but obviously last night um, a pretty knockout blow for, for them one that they they th- thought they'd moved on for the kind of days of, of getting battered away by other top six sides but it's not that way they lost 5-1 uh, up at Anfield and um, first thing to ask Jack is what kind of reaction do we expect Arsenal to give to that I, I'm worrying a not good reaction for, for
1: Fulham yeah I'm slightly concerned that Arsenal are going to look for the heavy bounce back there because you know you look at what happened to Everton <laughs> They got yeah. battered by Spurs at home two weeks ago, and and then last week they went and absolutely caned Burnley. And I, I am concerned that we could see a similar backlash in the Fulham game. Look, we we've we've been better defensively, and and that's that's important to know. And and it's important to see how we stand up now against against the top side, especially with the omission of Callum Chambers, who obviously is ineligible for this game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I expect Arsenal to come out all guns blazing and, and I'm hoping that this new kind of new look tidy at the back, Fulham are able to repel that. So you'd
0: imagine we'll we'll stick with that five at oh, the back yeah. that, that, we, oh, that we've yeah. been going with, which is nice all season, you know, especially under Slav. We were lamenting the fact that we don't have a consistent defence. If
1: Mawson's injured, we might see. I guess we may
0: Sean. see Lamar Sean. That is the fortunate thing, I guess, with an injury is we do just have a
1: ready-made I assumed, by the way, slightly on that topic, I assumed that Ream would drop into the centre role when Mawson went off, but he didn't. And Le Marchand played there and it was good.
0: Yeah, I thought that, that worked well. Um, Arsenal have been much better this yes, season under good Unai Enimary. Um They have this weird record, don't they, where they have barely been in the lead in the first half and they're quite often winning games or recovering games late on, and they went on that 23-match unbeaten run, which does had to be put a little bit into check. Six of those were games in the Europa League against very, very weak opposition. But still, you know... that's a win,
1: you can only beat the people in front of you.
0: Yeah. The thing I do look at Arsenal, though, from an outsider, is I do think there is vulnerability at the back. And Southampton brilliantly exploited it. I think Leno's a good keeper, but he does have his weak points. And, And Licksteiner... Uh, and Kalasinac, I always think have a mistake in them. So I- I'd like to see Fulham have a little bit of a
1: go. They're uh, walking wounded at the back at the moment. There's just a load of players injured, and, yeah. and they're they're very much playing with makeshift back fours, back threes, you know, whatever, whatever way you look at it. Then they are struggling for players at the back. Kalasinac, I think has had a, a little bit of a resurgence. He's been very good the last couple of games, yeah. And I think he's a lovely player. So. But, yeah, you're, you're completely right. There's there's definitely vulnerability in the back, especially in the centre-back pairing, who yesterday were absolutely schooled by Bobby Firmino, who just waltzed through them as if they weren't there. And, yeah, I think if you attack that that so- uh, that Socrates-Kishoni partnership, there is mistakes there. You know, you can't look at those players and be like, they're not good players, because they are. But there's definitely vulnerability in terms of if you can get at them and get in their heads, they're definitely not, you know, rock-solid. And, and Fulham can have joy at the Emirates. That's that's something to remember. We're not you know, we're not a terrible team, you know, despite the first half yesterday. We're not yeah. we're not a terrible team and if we play like we did against Chelsea and, and against Leicester and all you know, those the anyway, first
0: half against Liverpool.
1: Then um then there's definitely scope for Fulham to be able to Give Arsenal a game, if not necessarily take anything from it.
0: Right. So changes. Let's start with the obvious one, which is the fact that we have to be without Callum Chambers. And and it's an amazing turn of um, events that suddenly he is so pivotal to the way this side plays. For me, Steffi Hansen.
1: For me, Ibrahim Assize. The greatest underdog story of all time that he's now jumped ahead of, you know, uh, K-Mac and Johansson in the pecking order. Credit, Nick. Nick McNee, mm. who put this on Twitter. But it's true. You know, Cissé is now apparently Ranieri's backup centre midfielder. And you can see why. He's a mobile, defensively minded player. And I assume he's going to start against Arsenal.
0: OK, I kind of had forgotten about
1: Cissé. <laughs> he was on the bench again yesterday and there was no there was no uh, Johansson. There was no McDonald. But Cissé was there, tickling away. OK, so we're probably
0: going to expect Cissé to fit. I think it's going to be Cissé and Kenny. Do, do you think Johansson
1: could work? I think he could. But I I don't think he's necessarily defensively minded enough. You, Stefto loves going on marauding runs with the ball. Mm. I think we need an absolute screen, and I think the C says the only player that you know can do that. He's you know K Mac could, but he's not mobile enough. I, I think that C says the only player that could, can fill that role.
0: Okay, so you're going to go for C say in. I I don't disagree. I think I think Johansson could do a job there, but I think I just don't it, know
1: if he's disciplined enough in terms I think of his the thing positioning.
0: C- I think the thing with C is when you haven't seen very much of a player at all. Obviously, you know, the Fulham staff and, and Ranieri see him every day in training, so they know much more what he's about. We've seen glimpses of him for kind of 15, 20 minutes. I remember when he came on against QPR at Loftus Road for 10 minutes and he looked utterly, utterly lost. But you can't base or judge a player based on kind of 10 to, to 15 minutes. I mean, last season when we had this problem, we um, we stuck Tyo Edon in, uh, in the squad, didn't we? He,
1: yeah. Did you see what he done?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's been a while since we've, we've brought that pun into play. Um, further up the pitch, obviously you'll have Mitrovic. I would be surprised if Vieto starts again. I would have thought this would be a game tailor-made for someone like Sessegnon.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would bet my house that Ryan Sessegnon will start against Arsenal on the left side. I think he'll go with Scherler, but I don't know if that's the right idea. Although he did say this week that he could only play one of Sesse and Scherler.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So maybe he won't. Um, I think we'll go 3-4-3. I imagine that we'll see the formation that finished the last game into this one. I think Vieto might start again, you know. I okay. think he's quick. You know, if we're looking to break, like, quickly. Then so who Ces- do you
0: drop, Seri Ces- or Kearney?
1: I, I think John Seri will be dropped. I don't I don't think it's, you know, right or wrong. I just think he will be. Okay. I I'm, I don't think that he's done enough. You know, I don't think he's done anything wrong to be dropped, but I thought that Kearney was good when he played centre midfield yesterday. And Ranieri will try and keep his club captain happy, I think.
0: OK, so we're going with standard kind of back three, back five, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, Cissé and, and Kearney in the middle, Sessignon and Vieto behind Mitrovic up top.
1: Yeah, that's what I imagine we'll see. Well, there we go. And my, and my guesses. Um, I could be completely out.
0: <laughs> you're not going to the Emirates. Um, no, yeah. on, I'm off on my travels. On, on Wednesday. Um, I haven't been to the Emirates in the away end for a Fulham game. I've been in the Arsenal end for a Fulham game. So I'm looking forward to it uh, from that point of view. We've actually had a little bit of joy at the Emirates over the years. So we've never won there, but we've picked up quite a few credible draws. I think the 3-3 is the one. But the there. penalty save. Yeah, which instantly kind to of end, yeah. springs to mind. Uh, I seem to remember our first ever game at the Emirates. It David Healy um, had us winning for about 88, 89 minutes, potentially. Yep. And we did we lose that game in the end? I think we did, yeah. It was two goals in stoppage time. And that, that was a particularly heartbreaking one. Um, but yeah, the games are coming thick and fast. And it should be a good one against Arsenal. Bit of a free hit, though, isn't it? Which is, which is always quite nice, considering the fact that the last three games have been so kind of do or die. For Fulham,
1: yeah, I, I mean it's it's a nice to have one that's not necessarily as crucial. I know every game's crucial, and we you know we need points wherever we can get them, and you know you have to look at every game as an, an opportunity to take a scout. But yeah, it's nice to have one where the expectation isn't a win. The expectation is if we get anything out of this, it's a bonus.
0: Yeah, and and let's say if if we could get a draw out of that, and before unbeaten going into that massive, massive Burnley game, and we'll have about uh 10 days off in between the Arsenal game and that Burnley you've got Oldham in the cup in between i mean whilst i don't really want to get wanna, the kids to run out whilst i don't really want to lose to Oldham at the moment a cup run is is nobody's private Oldham at this Oldham stage. got
1: spanked 6-0 by Carlisle last week in league 2 and i was like god <laughs> if we don't beat them oh my god <laughs>
0: Um, so, so, yeah, it would, be, it would be a good one at Arsenal and uh, it's a sellout up at the Emirates, as you'd expect. So, hopefully the Fulham fans will be in fine voice. And and Kamara, do you expect him to be on the bench, at least?
1: I, I'm interested. I, I don't know, if I'm honest. I, I don't know what Ranieri's disciplinary methods are like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was dropped from the squad for a game. Well, give him a little... Also, like you say, there's a big gap between Arsenal and Burnley. If he's dropped here. That's like a week and a half, two weeks, where he has to think about his actions and things. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. I, I think we should wait and see now. I, I think the kind of the line must be drawn in the sands. Where, you know I'm as angry as everyone else, but the line has to be drawn in the sand. And until we see what Ranieri chooses to do for that Arsenal game, I think there's no point kind of going further into it.
0: Okay well uh, just time to do a few questions before we end the podcast uh, as ever the questions are sponsored by Putney pies uh, you can find them just at Putney Bridge on the on the south side of the river right on the corner there
1: the finest pies in all the land
0: yeah uh, I've said the words, took the words right out of my mouth Jack uh, you can get your 10 percent off your food uh, through Fulhamish by co- quoting the code who ate all the pies
1: yeah you say you're from Fulhamish at the checkout as well that's always nice
0: yeah, exactly. So uh, maybe for the Oldham game on a Sunday, it's a 2pm kickoff, almost perfect. Uh, pie weather. It, I mean, exactly. You could go either before the match. Maybe or afterwards. Of, yeah, half 12, you could pop along for a lunchtime pie or kind of 4, 5pm once we've um, given Oldham the hiding they deserve. Then you go treat yourself to an exceptional patty pie.
1: Yeah, there you are. What a day. Exactly. What a day.
0: Right, let's get some questions.
1: Okay, so I got this one through from Peter Hucker. He says, got a question. I know we all love berating AK and the penalty incident was truly terrible, but I really feel that AK Mitro says that front three is our most dangerous given Schurler's complete lack of confidence. I would add an ability, Peter. Uh, It (laughs) gives Christie a lot of space on the left and means Mitro always has support. If we're going to stick with a 3-4-3, who would you play on each wing? And could you see any of our wingers, Aite El Cabano maybe, leaving in January?
0: Oh right. I was I was thinking he was going to say any of our other wingers filling in that spot. Um for me, if we were to play a the three four three, yes, of course I think uh Cess and Mitro kind of um sells themselves. I I think Kamara still is better a, a, as an impact and I would rather an alternative solution at right wing. I think our feelings on kind of Aite and Iskins Cobano being an underutilised um, weapon is uh, have been well noted on this podcast, but I, I think they ring true. I still believe one of those two could do much more of a job than than they currently do. Um, but also Vietto yesterday, who actually yeah. I think, whilst he had a few you know dodgy touches yesterday and a couple of misplaced passes, which I think is to be expected from a player that has missed.
1: So much of the season. Two
0: months basically without a a first team game against a Huddersfield side that hassle and harry you. It's not an ideal scenario. And I think he's got a lot of quality. And I think that's proven by the fact that he's still our top assists.
1: I liked his. I thought his work rate was excellent yesterday. This wasn't yeah. maybe mentioned, but he lost the ball at one point and chased a man all the way back into the opposition diagonal to make a tackle. And I was like, that's an underrated part of his game because yeah. he does. He, he's he's a bit of a hassle and harrier himself. Mm. And I, I think it, I'd be really interested to see Vso and Mitrovic Sesanjon as a front three because I think there's a lot of pace there to run off Mitrovic. There's a lot of guile, and both of them have an eye for goal. And I think that that's a good thing.
0: And sometimes it won't be effective and and teams will figure them out quite quickly, especially if they've got the pace to match. But that's the point for me that you bring on Kamara.
1: Yes, agreed.
0: And that he has that different dynamic that can can change up the game. But for me, I still don't believe that Kamara is a starter. Um, I don't think that yesterday has had any impact on my thinking towards that. Um, Yes, he was impressive at the start against Wolves, but... I still reckon that assess Mitro, Vieto front three is a far more potent uh, attacking trio. Yep,
1: yeah, I completely agree with you.
0: Well, that's a first.
1: There we are. Adam at Madat7DS says, I do Fulham need another striker in January?
0: I think 100%. I think that currently at the moment we're walking on eggshells on, on egg when, it, when it comes to strikers. Because if Mitrovic gets injured, I think that's our season over. Yes, I agree. I I don't think that there's any, and whilst there are options, if you lost Mitrovic for a game, let's say he got a yellow card, Fulham could potentially turn things around. We could play a false nine. You know, we all remember Niskin Scabano playing that false nine system at Newcastle and how well it worked for a game, and players played off him, and maybe you'd have that kind of surprise factor against a team that wouldn't be expecting you to to set up in that way. But could we stay up with a, a makeshift winger playing up fronts, even in a false nine or not a false nine system for, for 17, 18 games? Absolutely not. So I think it seems quite ludicrous that we don't have any backup for Mitrovic. But finding someone who is willing to come here and very much be the backup striker because we're not signing someone that's going to be starting against Mitrovic is is tricky. I would say you might even need to look lower down the lower league, someone that's desperate for a Premier League opportunity.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good shout. I, I think we, these take us quite nicely onto the next couple of questions. Nick Griffith says with the transfer window on the horizon, what positions do you think are integ- integral to strengthen? Uh, and also Alex at Pure Power says with so many players out of favour, who leaves in the transfer window? Uh, which should I start with? Either, Sammy. Whichever you prefer.
0: Um, well, players that I think are going to leave during the transfer window, I think Aloney will leave because I think
1: Aloni will come in. Yeah, Tim Fosumenta is off. Let's, let's not beat her yeah. the push. Tim Fosumenta hasn't been in a squad since Ranieri took over. No. He, I, he's gone. He, um,
0: I mean, I'm not saying it means that much, but you know, he quote tweeted when Fulham scored yesterday and was like, Mitro! Yeah, so yeah,
1: he's got, clearly
0: got some, some love for the club and I think the whole way it's ended, i, I personally thought he was really quite impressive when he when he first came into the team and I thought he was going to be the absolute guaranteed well once kind of Christie was dropped after that Palace game and and then he came in for the Spurs game and maybe the Burnley game and he was impressive in both of them I was like hey we're, we're on to a player here.
1: Interestingly I, I think that you know I'm you know I'm a big Cyrus Christie fan but I have no issue if Tim Fossey-Mentz was to start a right wing back. I'd be interested to see because I think he, do, he doesn't offer enough defensively to, to play right back because he doesn't make any tackles but as a right wing-back, you have more kind of licence to get up and down, and he does have an engine and a half on him. I wouldn't be averse to seeing...
0: And I don't Fosu think Mensa we... Players. I don't th- Again, When if you want two good players for each position, I, I'm not 100% sure that we need to get rid of Fosu Mensa, other than the fact that...
1: We need to free up a loan spot.
0: And I don't know how we do that, other than through him. Yeah. Um, other players that might leave in January, I mean, you could say someone on the periphery of the squad, maybe a, a Eliyite or Cabano, might go, but to Fulham need to sell them might
1: do for FFP if it doesn't go right maybe or to sell it to prevent but a we're fire gonna, sale in the summer
0: we're not going to exactly get you know millions and millions for for them are they going to really you know scratch the surface of the amount that we've we've outlayed i don't know maybe not <laughs> um players that i'd like to to come in i think i think for me the the striker is is an absolutely key one and i still would like some more fullback cover, which is one of the reasons why I'm not 100% sure we need to get rid of Fosu Mensa. Yeah,
1: no, I can appreciate that. Who,
0: who would you like to come
1: in? I'd like a centre midfielder. Uh, and the centre midfielder I would like to bring in is James McCarthy from Everton. A little bit of leadership. But a to little, replace who? I just think he'd be good cover. He doesn't even get on the bench at Everton. And he's an old head with you know a plenty of in, uh, experience at the top level in the Premier League, internationally, you know he, he's been he was covering ground before and Golo Kanté made it cool. He, <laughs> you know he he really was some player back in his day, and yes, he's lost a touch of that now, and yes, he's injury prone. But if you're looking to see out a game and you bring on James McCarthy instead of Kevin McDonald I think you you gain far more you gain legs you gain mobility you gain leadership you gain all of those things you know this is a man that has captained Everton in the Premier League for for years who you know who is captain of the Republic of Ireland I think he'd be a wonderful addition to the squad
0: mm, I guess but we you know when we're speaking about Cissé going up the ranking and stuff like that I just do we need another player in that position when we already have a plethora and you're not even uh, counting we have a and plethora
1: Oh yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't know what's going on with Frank. I don't know if he's still injured. I don't know what's I going think he on is there. He's still
0: injured. Although he might just be injured and uh, I just left think out of the team.
1: I just think we need some experience, some leadership. And the more you get in that spine, the more leadership ability you get in that spine, the better. And I think that McCarthy would add if not even even if it was just on the training pitch. I'd bring him in. I, I think Everton would sell him for an absolute like minuscule fee. I think it would be a really good addition, and I think it's someone that you could come in as like a a kind of Parker esque figure, in terms of you could make him into a coach. He's got bags of experience at this. I just think it makes sense all round to bring a player like that into the squad.
0: I guess if it's if it's an inexpensive purchase, then it doesn't really harm you. The other position that I think I would like a change, but then does it mean changing up the personnel when we've just found some some rhythm is centre back.
1: Yeah, I'd like some centre-back cover. I still think right, we're weak
0: there. And right centre-back particularly, yes, where I just indeed. think we're, we, we are short on right-footed centre-backs. You have Dennis Adoy, and you have this five-at-the-back system, but if you could sign a strong right-footed centre-back... Ben mentioned on a full-time the other week, a Johnny
1: Heitinger. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. someone of, of that calibre. You're, you're, he's completely right. The only thing I would say is, I know we've discussed this at length and whatever, but no one ever brings it up if a team plays two right-footed centre-backs
0: no I don't know I've never really understood the whole stigma of play, you know play, but it does seem weird to play three left-footed no, centre-backs
1: no I, I mean I agree with that. you In, if we played
0: strange. Alfie Morrison, Ream and Lamarche on, it would be kind of weird but I yeah. don't it's not like hockey
1: no yeah exactly you know you just it doesn't really matter which way you, you go realistically for professional football you should be able to deal with both feet yeah. Unless you're Tom Kenny. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that you you just expect everyone to be able to be capable with their right foot and their left foot if they're a professional footballer for trade. But also,
0: it doesn't really matter if you tend to go left more than you tend to go right. Apart from the fact that, you know, the majority of people are right footed. Yeah, I don't I don't really get the issue apart from it just does feel weird. Yeah, but uh, I, I think I, it's
1: a stigma rather than actually anything wrong with doing it. I mean, maybe
0: if there is some more science out there and people know kind of history of tactics, maybe more than we do, if there is some valid reason why you can't have three footed, uh, three left-footed centre-backs, then kind of let us know. Them. Yeah, might please
1: some, do hit me up. I'd be absolutely fascinated. There
0: might be some research on the fact that we're, we're not... You,
1: know, you get it from like a left wing-back or a left-back who has to cross the ball. Yeah. And it makes sense for them to be able to do that with their stronger foot because obviously people's crosses are, are better, but... It doesn't, unless you're Cyrus Christie, he's <laughs> <You're just laughs> bare with his weak foot than his strong foot. But um, yeah, it just it seems a bit of a strange one that comes up all the time. There's a last question here. Um, this is from Christian Liedberg, FFC Liedberg. who I think this is brilliant. With 2018 drawing to a close, what are your personal high and low points at the cottage this calendar year? And what should the club's New Year's resolution be? <laughs>
0: um, for me, the club's New Year's resolution should be to refine its identity, which has been lost. In the past kind of six months since the playoffs and we came up and we knew exactly what this club was all about. And I think through a mixture of the managerial change and through the fact that we've had to we've had such a tough start to Premier League life, but also the transfers as well, which this summer did just seem very, very scattergun. And it seemed to lose its kind of rationale of, of transfer windows before it, especially that kind of final spree towards the end of the transfer window. I'd like this club to re realise what it's all about. And that seems to have been lost um, in the past six months for me. So apart from the obvious one of staying in the Premier League, that would be my New Year's resolution. Um
1: I think that's really good. I think carrying on from that, and very much in the same vein, but maybe slightly more off the pitch than on it. Uh, I think the club needs to reassess its priorities when it comes to ticket pricing. Yes. Uh, when it comes to the fans, uh, and remember what you know this club was built on. If, if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, I think there needs to be a serious rethink at the top over what we're trying to do here in the Premier League. What we and, and I understand that we're going. You know, we're doing a riverside you know renovation and all those things but that's only going to make it harder to get tickets and that makes it even easier for the club to push ticket prices up if they want to and that's bad that's really bad and it is not going to look pretty when we do get that stand built and suddenly there's no one to fill it because everyone's been driven out by prices and 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 gone elsewhere and i think that if we are to remain a club with the community close to our hearts a family club a, a truly you know genuine club that people feel like they belong to as opposed to a club that you watch on the television you know then they need to reassess from the very top just what this club is about and i know that it's modern football and there is a business aspect to it i'm not naive enough to suggest that we should be you know a charity case and and all those things but we're all aware of how much ticket prices are able to not influence or not influence the actual scope of a club's you know tenure in the Premier League and I think that we really need to think take a long hard think of ourselves about how we're going to address this issue
0: uh, highs and lows of the calendar year i mean it's it's a, it's a difficult one to do in the sense of I don't want to just say the obvious one which which would be Wembley I'm trying to think of other moments though in that calendar year that would just absolutely magic on that run to Wembley. Barnsley away. I mean, stuff, stuff like Barnsley away was absolutely magic. I wasn't at Borough away and, and it may be one of those regrets that I go to, to my dying that day. Potentially
1: not in this calendar year. No, it was, it was, no, okay. it was
0: right, right at the beginning. I think it was like the 10th of Jan or something like that. But you know, there were other moments on that, on that amazing run. When you look at, for me, Norwich weirdly stands out. That was just an absolute magic day. Yeah. Um I, and and yeah the derby game for me that second leg at the cottage that was the day for me i really felt like something changed that was seismic the fact that we had just not gone to wembley for such such a long time we had this playoff hoodoo and it felt like for 135 minutes of that game this is going to happen again this is going to be a thing this is we are never going to get to Wembley we are never going to see our team play there we are never going to win a playoff match and when when Cessignon scored that goal and turn it round and the pitch invasion afterwards and just and and I went to the uh spotted horse in Putney after that and just the celebrations in there until about one or two in the morning were were magic and apart from the playoff day which was which which is incredible that derby game massive high for me low I don't know if I can look beyond Huddersfield away that was no, sad. that was
1: I mean, I mean the lowest. It, weirdly, like the low at the time, the the game that I felt the lowest at the end of, I think, and and not yeah, you know, and and in hindsight, it turned out to be a blessing in in, in so many ways. But when Neil Moorepe scored that equaliser for Brentford in the ninety third minute, that was as upset as I'd been in a long, <laughs> long time. I, I was you asked absolutely that game. furious, just like inconsolable, and. It turned out to be a blessing, you know, it turned out to be to give us the best day of our lives and all those things. But there and, and Birmingham Away.
0: Yeah, Birmingham Away was pretty grim. Apart from it was lovely weather that day.
1: It was a good day, but like, should... <laughs> just the feeling that we were gonna cock it all up again and we'd missed yeah. our chance to do it once and for all as an automatic. And look, all these things had major catharsis points and I'm hoping that this kind of thing where we look at this season and and these low points in this season will have their catharsis points as well because they're they the they're the real highs the you know the the kind of playoff victory being the exact catharsis moment of that Morpé goal going in or the you yeah. know the Derby goal Dennis Doy's goal being the absolute catharsis moment of watching us throw away an automatic place in Birmingham those those moments are so. Interlinked, I suppose, yeah. and, and for me, if we can you know make those moments happen again in 2019, it will be the you know the, the flip side to the down of what it felt like at the end of that Huddersfield game or at half time at Man United or all of those real low points we've had this, this season. Yeah. So, I'm hoping that will be plenty of you know catharsis moments at the end of the day.
0: The weird, like, I've been saying to a few people in the last few months, like. When are we ever just going to have a mid, mid-table mediocrity season? When are we ever just going to be kind of in 10th position and not have too much to fight for? Because it's been maybe five or six years since we've had...
1: Next year, mate. Any, any, any,
0: yeah, anything <laughs> like that. But moments yesterday, like when Mitro scored against Huddersfield, only happened when you're in these kind of situations. Brighton weren't cheering like that when La scored in the 65th minute against Everton. That's just yeah. a, that's just a nice day. We'll go home and end Brighton played well. And I and I'm 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 longing for those days. <laughs> I do miss it a bit uh, as well. But there isn't the kind of but up and down. Only there. with the mad lows do you get the massive highs. Yes, of course. like like yesterday. So there there is an there is an element. It's a drug, to, isn't it? Yeah, it's football's your bag. So it's been a good 2018 uh, overall. It's been a bit of a tough end to the year, but you know ultimately 2018 has been a very fruitful we
1: are we're in a better position at the end of 2018 than we were at the start of it god only by about three places in the <laughs> table but we are and that's something to be proud of um, so that is all for the Fulhamish
0: podcast today hope you've enjoyed it bit of a bumper episode and for 2018
1: this is us out for 2018. yeah this
0: is the last podcast of 2018 we will be back uh, pretty shortly though after the new year so uh, myself and Dom are going to do a podcast Uh, after the Arsenal game the day after Um, so that will be up for you then Um, so enjoy uh, New Year's uh, whatever you do for New Year's I mean you'll all be celebrating at different times depending where you are in the world it's always a bit weird when you're in England and you watch uh, New Year's in Australia. It's like 1pm here and you haven't even thought uh, about about New Year happening quite yet.
1: Yeah, you've only had six or seven points at that point.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, have a wonderful holiday, Jack.
1: Yeah, and do something. Thank you.
0: And um, yeah, we'll be back after the New Year p- pod title.
1: A <laughs> boobakala drama.
0: A drama. Uh, and yeah, Happy New Year. Have a great one. And we'll see you at Arsenal.
1: Happy New Year, lads. You whites.